Welcome to Southside Presbyterian Church. The following sermon was taken from our Sunday gathering. If you'd like to find out more, or if we can help you on your journey in faith, head to our website, www.southsidepc.org, or visit us any Sunday morning at 9am. Our Bible reading this morning is from Acts chapter 1. And we are reading from verses 1 through to 11. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and whoops, sorry, over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command: "Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit." Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After he had said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and the cloud hid him from their sight. While they were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Morning, everyone. Good to see you all here despite the rain. Um, How about you just join with me in prayer before we start? Dear Lord, as we open your word today, I pray that we might have ears to hear what you have to say, and that I might faithfully explain the passage well, in your strength and not my own. Amen. How many of you have been in some sort of team before? A sporting team? A project at work? Maybe a choir or a band. Maybe even a volunteer team that helped with a cleanup or an animal rescue. In each of these teams, everyone has a specific role to play. And quite often, there are some roles that are more important than others. I've played in a fair few sporting teams before, um, but mostly cricket and football. Uh, In these teams, each person has a specific job to do and a responsibility to do it well. But over the years, I've come to realize that some people have a more central role than others. The responsibility of the 12th man is very different to the captain of a cricket team. And the guy who plays the full 80 or 90 minutes is very different to the bench player or the fill-in who gets, at best, you know, a 10-minute run out wide on the wing. Now, I've been that bench player before. I also know what it's like to be the specialist fieldsman who, now the bats nor bowls, 
Um, over the years, I've even had the privilege of running fine leg to fine leg in an 80-over game. Now, apologies for all the sport. If you're not following, don't worry. <laughs> My wife can't stand the sport terminology either. You can sympathize with her after. But all I'm saying here is that in most teams, there are roles and positions that are more important than others. The captain of a cricket team will never run fine leg to fine leg. He's too important for that. No coach in their right mind would bench their star player when the, the scores are tied and there's only a few precious minutes to go. The reality is, as much as we like to avoid it, that there are some important roles on a team and some not so important roles on a team. So whatever your experience is of teams, whether you're more generally the captain or the bench warmer, each of us at least wants to have an impact and a significance on the team. No one enjoys being sidelined. No one feels good when their role is almost irrelevant. And this can carry over into other areas of life too. Sometimes our main drive for doing things is the desire to make a difference and have an impact on the world. None of us want to be redundant. None of us want to be overlooked or forgotten. So as we look at Acts 1, I hope we'll all begin to see where Christians fit in. If you're not a Christian, I hope you'll come away with a better understanding of the team that Christians are a part of. And if you are Christian here today, I hope you'll discover or be reminded of your role and the importance within the team. Now, Acts is the second part of a two-volume work in which the Gospel of Luke is the first part. In the first book, Luke, the author, follows the many things Jesus did in his life, from his birth right through to his death, resurrection, and his eventual ascension into heaven. It's a clear, powerful, and historical account of the climax in God's great plan, the moment when everything changed. After reading Luke, it becomes pretty clear that there's only one saviour, one star player, whose role in the team is far, by far the most central and the most important. This person is Jesus, not Moses, not David, not Caesar, and certainly not us. Jesus up to this point is at the centre of everything that's going on. He is the person on which all of Christianity relies, the player who ensures the success of God's plan to rescue the world, whom without all of humanity would be doomed. Luke gives us a quick summary to make sure we're aware of this. Let's jump into the passage uh, in the first three verses of Acts. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up into heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. A few weeks ago, we read in Genesis about the Garden of Eden where God created the world and created humans in his image to share in the loving community that already existed between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Then Josh led us through the fall, the moment when people first turned away from God, their creator, and disobeyed his direct commands, destroying the loving relationship. 
But then we look at the rest of the Old Testament where humanity constantly rebelled and disobeyed God. We watch as their sin, idolatry, and rejection of God's way leads them to turn their backs on their faithful and merciful God. All throughout the Bible we see how hopeless humanity was and how amazing God is. Time and time again, God does his job perfectly, even when humanity failed. But then God comes into the world as a man. Jesus had at last run onto the field, and he came to rescue all peoples from their sinful and broken world. Up until this point, the only one successfully fulfilling their role and having an impact was God. Jesus was the ultimate move, the man in which all Christianity puts their hope in. Although, as we come to Acts, Luke assumes we're already familiar with all that Jesus began to do and teach in his time on earth. All it gives us is these first three verses where he summarizes that, verse 1, Jesus did great things and taught many people. Verse 2, he'd given instructions to his apostles before he was taken up into heaven. And verse 3, that after he had suffered, which is shorthand for being beaten, mocked, and crucified, he appeared to many people over the course of 40 days to speak about the kingdom of God and give proof of his resurrection and victory over sin and death. Without a doubt, Luke's first book was all about Jesus. And why wouldn't it be? Jesus is the only person in the whole Bible, in fact the whole of history, who perfectly upholds his responsibility, flawlessly performing his role. But at the end of Luke, and in this first chapter of Acts, Jesus goes up into heaven and leaves his disciples behind. At my old cricket club back in New South Wales, each year at the awards night, some lucky guy would receive the Yesterday's Hero Award. Now, you didn't want to get this award. It was usually given to someone who, in past seasons, had done great, but in recent seasons wasn't really doing so well. It was pretty embarrassing to get that award, especially when it came in the form of a toilet seat. Is Jesus Yesterday's Hero? A guy whose influence and successes are now only a thing of the past? Does Jesus stop having an impact after he's taken up to heaven? Does, does Luke in his first book bench Jesus? Thankfully, the answer is no. In Acts, Luke starts off with Jesus' ascension for a specific purpose. Different from his account of the ascension in his first book, Luke adds particular details that help us see that Jesus will continue to play the most important role in the next chapter of history. The hints are found in verses 2, 4, and 5. In verse 2, he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. Verse 4, he, Jesus, gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. And in verse 5, in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. A transition is about to occur in the way in which God plays in the team. And Luke is highlighting this shift is between Jesus' role as a man and his role through the Holy Spirit. Instead of working in front of them as a human being, we see here that God is promising to relate to his people in a whole new, exciting and powerful way 
Jesus' ascension, uh, Jesus' influential role wasn't over at the ascension. Here in Acts, he's promising his apostles that he'll continue to work, to instruct, and to be their guide and their strength. All that he'd done on earth was only the beginning. See here in verse 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote all about all that Jesus began to do and teach. Luke doesn't write all that Jesus had done and taught. Now Luke says he wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. The, the birth, life, teaching, miracles, death, resurrection, ascension to heaven, all that was only the beginning of Jesus' saving work. He wasn't abandoning his people by ascending into heaven. His job certainly wasn't finished back in Luke when the apostles watched him disappear. Jesus wasn't about to be yesterday's hero. He's still going to be the most important part of the team. Without a doubt, Jesus was, is, and will continue to be the star player of this rescue mission to save humanity from their own sinful and broken world. Now, I hope at this point you're sitting there thinking, Jesse... We get it, all right? Jesus is the star player. His role is the most important one. But when are you going to get to us? Where, where do we fit in? I promise you we are getting there, but first we need to understand where the apostles fit into the team. Because aside from Jesus, they're the main characters. So some great shift in history is about to happen. But what role would the apostles have in all this? As we keep reading, we see that the apostles can't resist predicting about what's about to happen. But in their excitement, they get it very wrong. Let's look at verse 6. Then they, the apostles, gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, the apostles were familiar with the Jewish expectations of end times. And most Jews believed that when God's rescuer came, it would be the end, which for them was a rather violent and Jew-focused event where judgment and punishment would be brought upon Israel's enemies. When the apostles asked Jesus if he was about to restore the kingdom of Israel, what they were really asking was if he was going to lead them marching into Rome with swords and shields to destroy God's enemies. They were ready to be his war generals. All these promises of the Spirit, all the miracles Jesus had been performing, the fact that he rose from the dead, surely the end was at hand. Finally, it was time to teach those Romans a lesson. But as exciting as that under, underdog story would be, it's not what Jesus had in mind. Unfortunately for their excitement, God had a much longer and broader plan than immediately taking out Israel's oppressors with the sword. God wasn't planning to restore political freedom to the Jews. Nor were the Romans his real enemies. As we read on in verse 7 and 8, we get a better idea of this promised spirit that Jesus was actually talking about. Verse 7 and 8. He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus is talking about the promise of the Spirit, not the complete and final restoration of the kingdom. 
Jesus very quickly puts a stop to their fantasies. They were ready for battle, ready for the end, but they had it wrong. They had the wrong promise and the wrong time frame in mind. But let's notice for a moment how Jesus doesn't deny the restoration of the kingdom altogether. The angels in verse 11 reaffirm that Jesus will return at some point to restore God's kingdom, to put the world right again and to free it entirely of the broken mess that sin has caused in all our lives and relationships. But it's, it's not the point of this passage. Here Jesus is urging his disciples to stop being so focused on the future age and to start to prepare for what they're about to receive. I don't think they really get how extraordinary the gift of God's Spirit will be. Look at them in, in 9 to 11. After he said this, he was taken up before their eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. You can imagine the, pos- the apostles at this point, you know, staring into the sky, like, wide eyes, jaws dropped. <laughs> They've just seen Jesus disappear in a cloud. And so they sit there, dumbfounded, waiting for him to come back. But instead, all they get is two men dressed in white, telling them to stop goggling at the sky and get on with it. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? You guys have a job to do. But what is this promise of the Holy Spirit? And what does it have to do with the apostles? Well, here in Acts 1, Jesus connects the promise of the Spirit with the prophecy that the apostles will be his witnesses, a shining light to all the peoples of the earth. The apostles got it wrong. (laughs) This new age is not the end. God wasn't about to go in with sword and shield to conquer the Romans. Jesus rebukes the apostles for getting carried away by trying to predict the end of the world and for thinking that the kingdom of God was only about the nation of Israel. What he wants them to see is how incredible the promise of the Spirit is. The apostles didn't get their role. While they did understand that they weren't the star player, Jesus was, they didn't get that they still had a significant, central, and important role to play. They weren't supposed to be spectators or bench players that do nothing until the final victory where they run onto the field cheering. They seem to think they have nothing important to do but to stare, gaping up into the sky. While Jesus was still the main man, Jesus calls upon them Two in verse 8, Be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus, even though he was still to be the hero in the next chapter of history, had chosen to achieve this through the apostles, who were to be his witnesses to the ends of the earth. Continuing to act through his spirit, God will continue to be humanity's saviour, as he had always been ever since the beginning of creation. But this time, it was through his apostles that God had chosen to keep working. While the apostles weren't the heroes, they were given a huge role to play, a massive purpose to fulfill, 
an impossible task to achieve alone. But they weren't alone. They'd have the power of God's Spirit with them as they witnessed. They wouldn't be going off alone in their own weakness. So if God has the most important role to play, and the apostles have been swept up into an extremely important role alongside this, where, where do we fit in? Well, the good news is that God's Spirit, which filled the apostles, is the very same Spirit that fills Christians today, and for the same purpose too. Everyone who is filled with God's Spirit is to be witnesses of all that God is and all that He's done. Paul in Galatians 3 puts this beautifully. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles, that's us, through Jesus Christ, so that by faith we might receive the power of the Spirit. Christians who have faith in Jesus Christ now share in the same Spirit and have the same role as the apostles. Together we are witnesses to the whole world, called to proclaim the message of the gospel by the power of God's Spirit. So, if as Christians we have the power of the Holy Spirit inside us, equipping us with the power to be effective witnesses of the gospel, what exactly does our role look like in the here and now, in, in everyday life? Well, first, our role is not to stress about predicting the end of the world. Even though it's tempting with all the war and, and COVID going on at the moment, Jesus will return to restore the kingdom. God has that part covered. It's in his plan. Of course, we should hope in our future restoration and allow the promise of eternal rest to encourage us in all that we do. But we can't let it take our attention away from the promise that we get here and now. We can't let ourselves get so caught up in the end time stuff that we sit back and miss the opportunity God has given us to play a part in saving humanity. God is offering us, he's offering you and me, an opportunity to have an impact in the greatest rescue in history. But if you're anything like me, when it comes to evangelism, it's easier said than done. In school, I really struggled with evangelism. I just felt like I didn't know how to bring Jesus up in a conversation seemed so forced, so rigid. I didn't want to come across as obnoxious or annoying. I felt like people didn't want to hear it. And I was afraid of being singled out as different. But the issue was that I was trying to force witnessing around my character rather than letting witnessing be my character. We can't witness separate from the Spirit. We can't do it on our own. Witnessing doesn't work when we try to have it as a side to the main meal, as some sort of add-on to our identity. Everyone is different in this world. To stay true to who we are, we have to recognize that the very essence of being a Christian is to be a witness, to let the power of the Spirit speak for us. We can't be Christians and not witnesses. Being filled with the Spirit is allowing God to live in us and to shine out of us into this fallen and broken world. Every Christian is a witness. But what does being a witness actually look like? 
a lot of the time I feel as though we get caught thinking that witnessing can only be street evangelism or talking to strangers about Jesus. But witnessing is so much more than that. If witnessing is our purpose, the very reason for our existence here on earth, shouldn't we be living and breathing it? Shouldn't Jesus, Jesus shouldn't have to be forced into a conversation. It should be a topic that just keeps popping up naturally. More and more, I'm starting to see that witnessing is more about small relational steps rather than forced one-off conversations. Four weeks ago, God gave me the privilege of being a part of my sister-in-law's transformation. For five years, um, Gina, my wife and I, um, had been a part of her life, watching as she became more and more lost, while at the same time knowing that Jesus was what she was looking for. At the start of this term, she came up to celebrate her 21st. We invited her, if at first I might have been a little unwilling, into our home, where she could live amongst us and watch as us read our Bibles each morning, to see the way Gina and I treated each other, uh, and treated her as well. Gina invited her to church, and we were surprised when she agreed to come along. She loved that there was a creche run by volunteers willing to look after a one-year-old. She was struck when she could feel we meant the words we were singing and praying. She listened intently to Ross's sermon, especially how God created us to share in a loving community and to serve out a purpose in Eden. And she watched as person after person came up to us with a welcoming smile, a question of how we've been going, a statement about how it's good to see us again, even though it's only been a week or so. It was being witnesses, together, as a community, that encouraged her to seek Christ. It was genuine passion for the gospel that seeped into every moment and conversation of her time here. It was the small relational steps and the openness of everyone's faith that allowed her own faith to take root. God called her home. She found purpose. She found where she belonged. And I just want to make it very clear, we didn't get everything right. I had no idea how relentless a one-year-old can be when they can't go anywhere because of COVID. Stuck in a two-bedroom apartment with no toys but my empty CD cases, they're so demanding of attention. I mean, I love my niece and sister-in-law and enjoyed having them stay with us, but my patience, man. By the end of it, every cry, every grain of rice or you know card that I found in places I didn't even know she could get to, every demand of being held when I had plenty of important things that needed doing, I always thought my patience was one of my strong points, but I now see that all you parents are in a whole nother league. <laughs> but thankfully, it's God who's the hero. He's the one that changed her heart. He's the one that had her reading her Bible so constantly throughout her stay that Gina and I together weren't reading half as much as what she was going through. My failings and my weaknesses were nothing in comparison to the way God spoke to her through us and through his word. By the grace of God and by the power of the Holy Spirit in us, she's now gone back to Tasmania and going along to church, reading her Bible nightly, 
and catching up with Gina once a week to ask the many questions she wants answers to. It was by God's strength and his power that she came to know Christ. It was by our witness that she saw and believed. It was by the power of God that through the witness of Gina, myself, and our entire church community, that another little one was brought safely home. So as we finish up today, I want to encourage all of us to to take note of the community we're a part of here at Southside to appreciate the genuineness of those around you who live and breathe the gospel. Encourage and and challenge each other in the role we have to play to take this spirit, the very thing that makes us who we are, out into the world to serve the purpose we're living for, to play our role in God's great rescue, and to allow the power of the spirit to shine in and out of us so that others may see and hear and find their place on the field too. We have an important role to play. Every single one of us were not made to be bench warmers, but influential players. By the power given to us, let's be there for the people who are in our lives. Let's own who we are as witnesses of God to the world. God now lives inside every one of his children to witness, day in and day out, month after month, year after year, By his power, we are now able to be a part of something so much bigger than we could possibly imagine. Let's finish with a message from Isaiah 49.6. It is too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. So let's stand out from those around us and be proud of our purpose and role alongside each other as witnesses to our great and powerful God. Join with me in prayer as we pray to him who has given us all the power that we need to live out our responsibility in the world around us. Father, we are nothing like you. Forgive us for the times when we've been so arrogant as to think we're the most important person in the world. Even as Christians, we fall into the habit of attempting to do life all on our own. But we know that this is not possible. Thank you that you are not just yesterday's hero, but also the hero of today. Thank you that we can rely on the power of your spirit to help us every step of the way. Help us also to own our identity, to take on the responsibility that we have, to be lights of your gospel in the world. May we not force witnessing into our busy schedules, but be witnesses in this fallen world. And may we not pursue this as individuals, but as a team who live and work and encourage and challenge each other as one family united by you. In all these things we pray in Jesus' name.